Hello and welcome to Stories from the Crisper Drawer. This is Season 2, Episode 18, 2019 Cheeseburgers and 2020 Steaks. Recorded January 1st, 2020. So, not too much really to talk about today, but... I'm, by that I mean not too much in the news. What we're going to do instead, because I just looked on Dredge Report and there wasn't much there, is I made up a list inspired by Ranger Up's uh, Bad News Network December 27th episode where they did a 25 uh, event list of what happened in the 2010s decade. So I decided I'd do a similar list. So I have various same things that they have with various other um, things I've added in. Did in um, and this is not by no means like theirs is an exhaustive list. This is just stuff that came to my mind that I'm like, when I was reading Wikipedia and various other things, I'm like, yeah, okay, I remember that. I remember that distinctly. So let's, let's just go through... Um, Go through them. Some of them I'll have things to say on. Some of them I pretty much, like, it is what it is. So we'll see. Uh, starting at the uh, top of the list, uh, by that I mean number 30, we had, and they mentioned, Harambe's death in 2016. Mostly because of the memes that it started. And it, it I'm still wondering, like, as I watched that video, because it was posted again on Facebook uh, as part of a compilation of parents doing stupid things with kids around animals, it's like, I understand why they, the, the zookeepers and the police shot Harambe to death. Makes, I understand why. He could have been, you know, he could have been nice to the, uh, to the child, and then, like, the second they try to get him, he just goes aggressive and crazy. I mean, they could have used trank darts, but I guess uh, they would have had to have known his, like, his weight pretty, like, not super precisely, but it would have had to have been a pretty good estimate, or else they'd either make him mad or they'd OD him, so they'd have to get a first thing. And I don't know if that would have been effective to do with him and the child so close by. But still, like, you gotta be like, the parents, like, why would you hang your kid over a fucking fence? So, that's about it for that one. The memes really took off on that. And, you know, it was just, it was just a funny thing. And for, I'll be honest, for like half a year, I didn't pronounce his name right. I had no idea it was Harambe. I thought it was something else. I, or I just connected a different word into it. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to be. Uh, 29, the political polarization in the Western world and the rise of left and right-wing protests and, and anti-establishment movements. Our decade got pretty divisive in the politics near the end of it. And it wasn't just like, people are going to say oh, it's Donald Trump. Like, no, it was bad before then. I think it really came to a head after Donald Trump got elected in the United States and people then started flying off the table the... Oh, uh, you know, the, the libtards, cuckservatives, and all the other uh, terrible names that were spread about people. And, you know, it, it was funny to observe because it's like, okay, what, what, what can we do here? But it was kind of, it was really, when, when it got down to it, just like, why are we doing this to ourselves? Do we not take, is nobody going to take anybody seriously? Is it just going to be, uh my point of view, and I'm only going to search out sources that agree with me versus being just, uh, you know, just researching information? So there was that. Like, we saw a large growth in the echo chamber industry of, oh, you agree with me? Come watch my shit only, and I'll make money off of it and stuff like that. So that was, that was kind of disappointing that that happened, but it's important nonetheless, because we'll, we'll see how this political polarization and the anti-establishment protests and various other things, how it's going to handle into this, uh, into the 2020s decade. 
Number three, the Patriots winning three Super Bowls and appearing in five of them. And with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick becoming the the uh, most winning coach uh, player duo in NFL history. Not much more to say about that. Uh, 2000, uh, number 27 is Donald Trump's election in 2016. Just, I remember that night being like, I don't really care how this election goes. And then around like halfway through the night, uh, so in mountain time, it was like, it was like nine 30 or no, I was close to 10 30. I decided like, I'll just go turn on a couple of live streams from the guys I'm watching who are making fun of like Sargon Avocado. And turn on and go on to uh, New York Times because I was playing video games. I'm like, I don't care what happens to this election. And then I just look at the New York Times like uh, seat list and like <clears throat> the de- delegate list, and all of a sudden Trump's way ahead. And I'm like, what? I I, I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. So it was a pretty amazing thing. Now since then, he's done a few things that were good, but he's also kept the surveillance state to the Patriot Act, extended the wars. And I guess there's news about the that uh you know the the Baghdad embassy and him flying in 100 marines and getting to Apache helicopters to fly overflight saying that this will be no Benghazi because of the Iranian militia, the charter that killed an American contractor and wounded American soldiers and then they took out the Iranian militia bases and in, in Iraq, so now it was Iranian-backed uh, Iraqis and supporters who were protesting the embassy with violence. Like, okay, that's that's great, great. You know, we're trying to get out of the Middle East, and it seems like even when we're trying to pull out our enemy, the enemies are still like, like, oh no, I'm we're going to shoot you. It's like, damn it, dude, if you would leave us a, an, the fuck alone and not cause shit, we wouldn't have to come and do shit. <laughs> Like, we don't want, like, the United States doesn't want to be the world police. But every single time we're like, okay, we're going to leave. The guys who are bad suddenly show up and, like, just, like, oh, you're, you guys want to leave? We're going to blow up your base. It's like, damn it, everything was fine. And now the media is saying, like, oh, if we leave, we're abandoning our missions. We got to do it. It's, it's a no-win thing because the media, unfortunately, plays both ways of saying, like, oh, the U.S. shouldn't be there. Like, why are we being interventionist? Boom. Oh, what are we going to do? They attacked one of our bases and freak out. It's just, ugh. Annoying. That's about that. Uh, Twenty six. Uh, the two thousand fifteen Canadian federal and, and Alberta provincial elections, with uh, Justin Trudeau being elected prime minister. Ugh. And the NDP striking the uh, Conservative Party completely out of politics in Alberta and getting a majority, and leading to four year long years of tepid. Uh, you know, we definitely saw the economic growth fall in Alberta and not a lot of improvement. Now, the Conservatives won in 2019. Trudeau won his election in 2019, but only with a minority government, so a good fall if the NDP and the federal level don't agree with him. We'll see if that ever happens. Because <laughs> this might be the only time the NDP leader, um, I can't pronounce his name uh, off the top of my head, dead this might be the most powerful he's ever had so he he might just want to keep this going we'll see we'll see um but rachel notley and her ndp group they did a few things like hey hate him as much as you can like they were thinking of their group in alberta defending them so they really did do 
for the people who wanted what they did, but they did a good job. But for the rest of Alberta, they just never, they never really operated as Alberta should be. They never treated Alberta as like, oh, this great thing. They, I wouldn't say they prostrated themselves in front of the, you know, the climate changers and the, uh, the left wing types, but they didn't step up to them and say like, listen, Alberta, we're doing the best we can. Why don't you work with us? I mean, she did when it came to the pipeline issue, but by that point it was so far behind and, and everyone knew that. Trudeau wasn't going to really play that game anyway. Anyway, he was just going to play like, he was going to say, oh yeah, we'll get a pipeline done. Then he comes here and does that stupid press conference in Fort McMurray, that the people kind one. And, and you know, that was a fallout from American politics extending into Canada in various ways. But the NDP one was really a protest against the Conservative Party at the Alberta level, just having, uh, from going from Ed Stelmack through to uh, Alison Redford and the corruption problem she dealt with, and then uh, Jim Prentice, who has who passed away uh, in an airplane crash only a few weeks after losing the election. But he came in, and then he decided to run, do an election, which was the honorable thing. He becomes the leader of a party because the Alison was just like not a good leader at all. So he goes and takes the leadership of the party, and he's like, "Well, we should have an election." To determine if, of course, he had nothing to do, and all that was coming in was just how he took over from the outside, and uh, people were still mad about Allison. It's like, oh, is this going to be the same old conservative club it was for the past five years? Kind of got what was coming to him, but it was good. It was honorable. At least he put it up for a vote instead of just taking over. Be like, well, I'm in charge now. Uh, we don't need an election. Uh, election fatigue is the thing. 25, Marvel Comics and the movie successes from them, for Marvel Studios. Like, just, it's, it's amazing. $26.8 billion in, in, op- in movie openings. It's just like, insane what Marvel Comics has done with Disney. What can you say? It's like, Disney built it, rebuilt a massive empire on Marvel Comics and Mar- Marvel Films. Just, like, Crowd to them, and really, it was Iron Man with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau who really started that successfully. Um, them having the just the desire to go that way, and Robert Downey Jr. being cast as Iron Man and slash Tony Stark, and, and John Favreau just doing a good job in the in movie one directing it, and just he started a good idea, and it just kept going from there. Uh, two thousand. Uh, okay, so that's it. Uh, t- number twenty-four. ISIS almost being eliminated and its leader killed in Iraq in two thousand nineteen. Now, early, farther on, we're going to talk about ISIS being created, but they're almost gone. I mean, sure, they're they're spiking up in a few other places, but they're all their strongholds have been taken back, and Al Baghdadi was killed earlier this year by a Delta Force Ranger raid that lasted two hours and the site was bombed out of existence afterwards. Number 23, the Colombian armed conflict ceasefire in 2016 and almost like really peacefully ending to a degree in 2019. Um, But, of course, some of them that are, some of the uh, FARC that have entered the drug trade more than actually being revolutionaries you know, it's hard to give up the money that the cocaine industry gives you. So some of them are still don't want to have about peace. And the thing was, like, the peace deal was, like, a full, a nearly a full pardon. Like, just put down your guns. We're not going to 
go anymore. Credit to the Colombian government for even getting to 2016 and getting that ceasefire and then continuing negotiations till this year when that's when it started breaking apart was completely based on money. And it's just like, you guys really tried and credit like that. That more has been going on since the 1980s. So, you know, that was just heartwarming to see. And, you know, you really wish it had worked out because Colombia deserves its day in the sunlight not to have this the specter of the drug war and, and FARC still over top of them. It's just, it's, it's sad. 2009, uh, frick, uh, two, yeah, 22, the Haitian earthquake and American re- re- cross response. So, you know, Haiti had its earthquake in the very early 2010s, um, which was a, like just absolutely devastating earthquake to a country that's suffered from corruption and lack of true structure in it and various uh, international governments interfering in its operation for years and years. And then the earthquake happens. You got one point, like, two, five million people homeless, like a major humanitarian crisis in the Western Hemisphere. And then we get the Red Cross response, uh, its terrible response, which cost millions of dollars. Turns out most of the money was spent in Washington, D.C. at their think tanks and their meetings, stuff like that. They built a few houses, like maybe didn't even build a school, and raised like hundreds of millions of dollars that just disappeared. Appeared. Meanwhile, other charities that were better connected on the ground uh, did tons more than the American Red Cross did for way less. Like, what was it? One of the things was, uh, oh yeah, the American Red Cross, every decision had to go through Washington, D.C., and the people on the ground had to be American making the choices. It couldn't be like their Haitian representatives could have been like, well, you know, that's where there was a school. We should put a school there because it's where all people are. They're like, we're going to put a school in the middle of uh, nowhere that's like half an hour walk from anything. There's going to be no road to go there. That's where we're going to build the school for some reason because eventually there'll be a community that builds up there. It's like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? There's, there's a great article online about it, which just... it. It shows that the American Red Cross had its heart in the right place, but basically wanted to control the entire process all the way through. And other more successful charities that were American-based basically said, like, we have the manpower now. You Haitians tell us where you want it done. And the Haitian representatives who were running those projects like made like 100-house like little micro-town, little micro-villages that just worked in no time and spent like a fraction of the price and then you go to the American Red Cross place, which was like just cost fortune to operate because of just how they did things. It's just it was a really sad day for charities, just about how good charities can be corrupted because they want to have the head office, which really only job should be fundraising, wanted to suddenly have a say in how the. Uh, Funds are distributed and have way, but like you could argue that they want to checks and balances, but obviously they want checks and balances on the Haitians, but they didn't care about it on themselves. So that's more of it's like it's more of a crucifixion of the American Red Cross, just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I would be, I think that uh, you know the American Red Cross needs to be, from that needs to always be looked at at major disasters, like how much of this money is actually going towards the current disaster, or how much is it is it going to be. Like, be honest with us. How much is it going to go towards stockpiling for the next disaster? Because if you're doing that, if you're saying this disaster happens, fund so that the next one we're able to do rapid uh, relief operations for the next one. Just 
announce that. And I think a lot of people would be like, oh, sure, like I'll donate to the current effort. But if you're also referring for the next one, so you're not waiting for funds, gladly buy blankets and, you know, food packs and stuff like that now, or at least put the money in an escrow account where it's fine or invest it in a way that makes, uh, you know, it generates interest to keep going. Like people would be fine with that. 2000. Okay. (laughs) Number 21, the Boston Marathon bombings of 2013. Just, you know, crazy thing that happened there. The fact that it was all over within 24 hours of the event because of how quickly they uh, found out who they were. Yeah, it was more like 48 hours, but they find, found out who they were with modern surveillance cameras that were in private companies' hands, that they were able to use that and track it down um, down near the finish line and figure out who did this. That was amazing. Just, you know, unfortunately, there's examples of uh, that event that showed how good law enforcement, when they're working together at all levels, can be. But it also showed, like, the libertarians are now using the example of, like, the guys moving house to house in armored Humvees and with SWAT team rifle, SWAT team gear with, you know, heavy Kevlar armor on, knocking on doors and checking houses out. It's like, yeah, everybody wants the two guys who did the marathon attack detained, uh, but you really militarized the city police too much. So it was both a heartwarming thing and, like, a good thing how quickly they found these guys, but... When you saw the, the method the police went to, and I'm not being critical of the police force because they almost didn't have a choice. They had to go that way to get it done, but just showed how, I guess, militarized the police were. I mean, the Ferguson protests also showed that as well. Uh, 2020, the Occupy Wall Street movement and the inequality protests that uh, followed up from it in various shapes and forms. Like, <clears throat> love it or hate it, Occupy Wall Street was an interesting flashpoint uh, stemming from the 2008 financial collapse and how the U.S. government, and, and I'm critical of this, funded uh, through the Federal Reserve, basically gave tons of money to corporations that made terrible financial decisions to keep them running. And I argue the point that, you know, Lehman Brothers should have just failed, like all, all these big guys, they should have just been left to fail because now we have a bunch of money based that has zero, like no interest on it that will eventually have to have massive inflation to make it up, make up the problem, which is a dangerous event. Like we, there will have to be a hyperinflation point eventually on the money they printed uh, for the financial crisis in 2008. And the fact that it was the Wall Street bankers who had golden parachutes who were being paid millions of dollars um, a year made all these mistakes, didn't really care for it. And then instead of being punished, the U.S. government's like, well, you're too big to fail. Here's money. Uh, try not to do it again. Versus the fail, failing them trying to go back in the market and private investors being like, you lost me money, but you also made me a lot in that time. So you did something right. We're willing to do it, but it's going to be, you're going to have to run at this or like, we're going to be watching you more carefully and we're not going to trust your quarterly reports. Like people are going to want to have more information on you and all this stuff. Um, it just it wasn't that good. Number nineteen, the Deepwater Horizon fire and the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Just yeah, you know, what can I say about that? Like the the Deepwater Horizon fire was horrific uh, chain of events that went wrong in that, and it also shows how uh, 
how companies like so BP doesn't actually do their own drilling. They hire con- contractor companies to do it for them. <clears throat> uh, that sort of business because there's only so many in the world and how expensive those uh, drill rigs are to build and operate. How they have to. Um, what's what, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like how they're always moving from event to event, uh, from operation to operation, very quickly, and don't have the proper amount of downtime. They really need to keep them up, and you can understand why. Um, but at the same time, BP could have been like both the owner of the of Deepwater Horizon and BP could have both said like, okay, this this rig's obviously old. It's one of the better rigs in the world, but it's an older rig. Like it needs a proper like maintenance event. It needs to be, yeah, it, it needs to have a big, big, big like you know uh, what do they call that? Uh, you know, big service event where it's taken out and you know pretty much dry docked for a year or two and has a massive yeah, overhaul. Like it needed a massive maintenance overhaul, like what the uh, U.S. aircraft carriers get every few years. So you know, and people who died and various other things. Uh, BPP maybe uh, you know, the blowout protector not working the way it was supposed to. Um, the millions of gallons of uh, oil that got dumped into the Gulf Coast. The BP response, which was just tragic to say the least, like how how the B, how BP's president just seemed to be like, oh, what, whatever. Also, how a lot of the government organizations just didn't uh, really understand what they were going into, and how uh, how the optics of it was terrible. Like when James Carville's on the B, in the Louisiana shore saying we're dying down here, and President Barack Obama's in the Oval Office, like not down there, it looks bad. I mean. What can what can the president do? He can't just f- magically fly Air Force One over top of the oil rig and go like oil well and say stop, you know, uh, st- stop, uh, stop spewing your oil into the uh, Gulf Coast there, there. So he can't really do that, and it's not like he's got this magical, uh, like non-existent army that suddenly appears like bam, we've got now four thousand ships to fight this, but. You know, BP deserved, like, the fines it got, and it was a tragic event. I think the thing was, like, the blow-up protector wasn't done well, and various other problems were there. The documentation on it, I haven't fully read, but it seemed like there were, there were, there were flaws at all levels that were ignored for the sake of profit, and that's one dangerous thing. But also, you... you I don't know where I'm going with that, so let's let's drop that also and just move on to the next one. Uh, 18, the military intervention in Libya to get rid of Muammar Gaddafi. You know, an outspring of the Arab, Arab Spring protest, which is farther down the list, um, was it the right thing to do? Libya, I mean, the, the success did happen, but then did we really have an amazing... Uh, an amazing event after that, uh, you know, we had in 2011, Vin, we had the, uh, the no, 2012, we had the Benghazi compound uh, event, which was just like, holy, sh- holy shit, 2012, uh, I think so, um, uh, yeah, it was 2012, so we had that outspring of it, we had uh, special forces from... I believe British SAS, American Delta Force, or SEAL units, and CIA and various intelligence agency clandestine operations guiding uh, NATO 
NATO and European uh, fighter bomber campaigns against the uh, Iraq against the Libyan army I mean, to help the uh, you know to help the the uh, the Libyan uh, the Free Libyan Civil War group like the more Western supporting freedom loving guys uh, win the battle against Libya. I mean, did it work? Like, there's some issues where Libya is not fully stabilized. I mean, the power vacuum did allow other terrorism groups and ISIS eventually to go into there. But for a time being, after the intervention, it seemed like Libya was actually on the mend. So, I I don't know. Like, there's an argument to be made, was the intervention worthwhile or not? I guess if you're arguing it from freedom of the world, great, but... It also, is it a fight that that international people should we just go like? Because if so, there's definitely a better argument. There's, there's going to be an argument about like Hong Kong being close to that soon, if Hong Kong continues to escalate. Seventeen, Jeffrey Epstein's death and the uh, rise of memes and the decentralized media responding to it. Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein. The uh, government said he committed suicide in his jail cell, and the guards were asleep, and the cameras weren't working, and he hung himself with stuff like that. From what you can read, read now. This is where the conspiracy theory comes in. Like you believe the shirt and the pants and all the all the stuff he was supposed to be giving when he was on suicide watch. Now he's taken off suicide watch before he commits suicide. But when you're on suicide watch, you get all the stuff that basically you can't. You're on a cement cell there's nowhere you can hang yourself your garments would rip if you tried to put any heavy weight on them and stuff like that and he goes back off of suicide watch his cellmate gets transferred um a lot of things seem weird there and you know a lot of the world the internet's like we don't believe he actually killed himself there's something wrong here here and who knows if, if there is or not i think it's just it's interesting to see just how um how distrust of the government meme especially with how well connected Epstein was and how powerful he was in the financial and and like you know political industry and yet he also was a sexual predator and now his uh on the news is his madam is like they won't prosecute me I know too many powerful people it'll be interesting to see if she suicides herself anytime soon because if she does it's like why <laughs> this is starting to be a, become a pattern here <laughs> so I, I i just the the memes and the spreading of them into popular culture and just becoming like memes being better at saying uh you know committing truth to power just seems to be a really interesting end of the decade that we're having that 16 the increased investment and uh, interest in space exploration on both a public and private scale nasa putting more effort into developing space travel technology to potentially colonize the moon and mars uh, spacex and blue ocean and blue uh, origin um, competing for reusable rockets and sustainable space flight operations now it's a There'll be some great technology made because during the last space race, like mankind made a leaps in technolo- technological developments, and this one, uh, with China as well as the private companies competing against each other, there's probably going to be a lot of amazing efforts made here. Hopefully, this all works out pretty well. Oh, I'm I'm not too concerned about colonizing space, but hey, it looks like there's a lot of fun stuff that can definitely happen been from that. A lot of cool technology, like. Better stuff for smartphones, for laptops, for all this, like, lighter technology that's more powerful. It's, like, all cool stuff can happen. 
Number 15, the terrorist attacks in in uh, France, starting with the Charlie Hebdo attacks in 2015 and the November Paris terrorist attack. Char- the Charlie Hebdo one about the, the cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad and, and then uh, being killed, like, okay, yes. People will say they were asking for it. It's like, no, it's, it's free speech or there is no such thing as free speech. You can't have segregation of speech. It's either you have it or you don't. And the, the Charlie Hebdo guys were definitely... We have it. Now, a while since, they've kind of stepped back, I think more from the French political apparatus forcing them to. Like, the attack showed why that was important for them to do that. And then the uh, Just See Just Charlie uh, next week paper from the survivors. And then, like, late in November of 2015, like, the attack on the concert goers, which was just terrifying. Um, you know, it was an interesting, uh, crazy event. Because Charlie, because then France also had the Nice uh, truck driving terrorist attack. Like, it's the world we live in. Unfortunately, events like that are going to happen. You can't stop them all. You can try to make as many laws as possible, but somebody will always find a way through. Just like, look at the UK. Like, guns are nearly impossible to get, so I'll drive the cab on the, uh, on the sidewalk and use knives and stuff like that. It's just... Yeah, unfortunately, that's the ter- terrifying aspect of the world of today. Now, the odds of being killed in a terrorist attack are astronomically low, but when they happen, they're so terrifying to, to hear about and observe that you understand why it gets into people's psyche so quickly. It's like, oh, is this going to happen? It's like, like, You're more likely to die in an airplane crash, which is also very, 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 very rare. I mean, a commercial airplane crash. Like, apparently, a lot of small crashes from small prop and light planes have just happened all over the year. It's like, geez, what's going on here? Here, uh, but, you know, we're not going to do investigations about that. So, it's something you got to wonder. Like, you got to think about where am I? What's my escape route? If something happens. But it's more got to be in the back of your head. Like, if something goes wrong, this is how I'm getting out of here versus, like, I'm going to be paranoid about life. You got to sort of be like, okay, what do I do? Where do I go? Um, what's my first action? I need, and if something happens, I need to collect myself and my friends and get out of here. Here. And I think the problem is we go from being uh, being apathetic to these events that rarely do happen to then when they do happen, freaking out and overanalyzing everything about how we would respond as individuals, not as how it happened. And I think, unfortunately, some of some people try to be like the, oh, I, I, this is what I would have done. It's like, shut up. Uh, tw- number 14, the Syrian civil war and the uh, argument of armed intervention. Should have we intervened or not? Was the red line crossed or not? <sighs> You know, the use of chemical weapons and, and genocidal fashion of firearms and the growth of ISIS out of that. What do, what do you do? What do you do? Because really, you get it from the American and Western point of view. Like, we've already had, uh, we've already been, we've been in Afghanistan for, this will be the 19th year we've been there. Uh, you know, it'll be 17 years in Iraq. Do you really want to get in- involved militarily in another nation's civil war. But can you also stand aside and, and with a straight face say, like, we're not involved in this, and yet the watch the images? Some of them may be staged. Some of them are probably real. Just the fatalities going on 
over there and the destruction the civil war is happening it's like never again after world war ii but the politics of it is just too crazy and only time will tell if we did the right thing or not uh number 13 the fukushima reactor disaster after following the 2011 japan earthquake setting nuclear power back uh, considerable distances in the sphere of public opinion and like basically people called it Japan's Chernobyl now history has come out that this has been nowhere near as bad as what was initially es- estimated the IAEA and many atomic and nuclear regulatory groups not regulatory groups but um, information groups knew this wasn't going to be as bad as it said there were a few issues but they're like this isn't going to be crazy the 27 workers who were at the plant none of them died from radiation poisoning now, there's also an argument that that reactor was old because Japan used nuclear power as most of their energy source, so they were very uh, hesitant to shut down old reactors, and putting new ones online became expensive over governmental and political decisions. Of course, when this happened, they shut down all the reactors. They've turned um, like a lot of them on that were less than 20 to 25 years old at the uh uh, you know, if they were built in the 80s or newer, they were a lot of them were turned back on. A lot of the ones that were built pre-80s are, are being permanently decommissioned, and they're inspecting them all properly. So there was an argument of we need power, so inspections got reduced. Um, companies, companies unfortunately do lie, so there is something where they need to be held accountable. And, uh, you know, when they shut them down, they had to go back to coal power, and it increase the energy costs in Japan astronomically because they had to import coal that they weren't used to importing anymore. So at least they're turning the nuclear power back on and trying to do uh, better. And, you know, as the years went on, the facts started taking over from the hysteria, but the hysteria was what had the news cycle for a month to two months after Fukushima's uh, first melt, like damage and meltdown. And the facts that came out years after fact really didn't get the widespread publicity. It's easier to write a story like, oh my god, ratio from Fukushima, millions will die, versus being like, like uh, remember that story from six years ago? Yeah, not only were we were completely effing wrong, but the nuclear expert we had on and said, oh, you, you're, you're downplaying the disaster, was completely right, and in fact was being favorable to us and overestimating what the damage would be just because it, he's like, it's better to be safe than sorry, or and here's how to prepare for that. But no, we, we, tr- we vilified them because these nuclear physicists don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Nuclear power is really our best option for the future, and until something better comes along, which we don't have right now, it's we really got to work on it. And <laughs> it's, it's just unfortunate that the, th- only, the three nuclear disasters that really happened in history, Three Mile Island... Uh, Chernobyl, which was just that, that was mismanagement at every single level. A, a terrible reactor design built uh, shoddily by a government that just basically needed power as quickly as possible, who had no care about re- regulating it and making it safe. And, you know, and then just freaking out over the response and not running things correctly and not having the right guys there when stuff started going wrong. Like, Chernobyl is just like, it is the ultimate disaster because. It really was. I don't care. I need power. I don't care how it's made. I don't give a shit about its design. I don't give like, I don't give a fuck about the flaws that people can these the physicists can tell me that will happen. I just need the power right now. 
Chernobyl is like the ultimate in arrogance of nuclear power. Like, I'm going to do it any way possible just to get the energy I need and damn the consequences no matter what. Fukushima was more of a issue of neglect over a long period of time. Like, the reactor was still pretty safe, but the tsunami and earthquake combined. Like, if it had been one or the other, I think they're still ma- they still made it work. Worked, And if it had been earlier and maybe if it had been later in life and they had done a, a proper, uh, you know, major inspection prior to it, they probably would have predicted problems at a faster rate. But still, it happened and we got to go on with it. Number 12, the uh, Ukraine and Russian conflict starting in 2014, which is continuing to this day. Why has, the, why has the world not intervened? Well, Ukraine is actually the ideal combat space for the Russian army because it's a lot of open prairie, which is what their army is pretty much designed to do. And because they're close by, they can resupply them very quickly. So first they took Crimea, and then they just kept pushing on under guise of, like, uh, the Russian little green men is what they call them. These little insurgent uh, groups that Russia launches into Eastern European countries try to stir up revolutions and get uh, Russian-backed uh, revolutionary groups to keep moving. But since the Ukraine protest rise of this, the rest of West of Eastern Europe has been very, very, very attentive of where these people are going. And that's why um, Poland and uh, other their, uh, NATO countries in, in Eastern Europe have demanded more American military deployment and more NATO military deployments in their countries and are and frankly, they want it because they know the U.S. and Russia are not never going to go to blows. Well, I shouldn't say never, but basically they know that if that came to a point, it's like, okay, we both need to calm this down because this ends badly for everybody. everybody. But they want the shield of the NATO, of, they want the, Amer- the NATO and American shield defending them, defending them from the, the little green men that are running around. And I just love that phrase, the little green men. Uh, uh, Number 11, climate change, which really took off. Now, we ended the decade with Greta Thunberg and her her being person of the year for Time magazine and the how dare you and the speech before the UN. It's like, I see her and I'm like, you are not the ideal climate change person. Like, your parents are are, uh, ultra-rich, not ultra-rich, but they're very successful... um, media darlings in in Sweden and you you seem to be handled in like portraying yourself in a way that you're not like the um the train uh the train tweet she did where the company's like I we, we like a picture of her, her by her team had her uh, like sitting by her luggage near the train door and then the company's like it would have been nice if you had talked about how nicely you were treated in first class and then she's like I had a seat in one on this company's train but on the uh on another train it was over full and it's like yeah just just it's when you do lies of omission like you're you're not telling the full story it doesn't help your case I don't know. When I look at her, I get the idea that she's trying to do, but but it just seems too manufactured for me. Somebody who actually cares about it, she doesn't seem to be, uh, at least from my perspective, she seems to be, I don't want to, like, not spoiled, but uh, she's been too pushed in this direction that, that this is all she now knows with her energy, like what to do. So what happens when she becomes irrelevant in that sphere when the political wings, the, the political uh, ideologues that want her suddenly realize, like, okay, she's not the person we want anymore. Push her off. 
What are you going to do? I don't understand why protesting school is a good way to fight for climate change. I would have thought, get an education, get a degree, go work for, or like get an education, at least a school education. If you want to go to university, go to university, or go work for an advocacy group. But at least have inf- enough knowledge that if something, if like it turns out, hey, I was right and we won, and now I don't have to be the advocate IR, I can go on to do something else. Like I, I feel like she's being manipulated by her handlers and her parents, and uh, that in a few years' time she'll be broken or something like that. And that's my fear with her, with Greta. Um, But the climate change protests, it's valid. We have seen heat up. Ronald Bailey, reasons for talking about it, where, you know, it's a major crisis we need to solve. And the world really isn't coming together. Like the Paris Accords, it turns out that a lot of those accords were just jokes like 2050, if the rest of the world contains their... Their uh, what's like their their emissions. Uh, China will dedicate itself to getting its energy emissions back down to twenty thirty rates, which we haven't even gotten to. It's like, you know, when when Paris Accords are written, where a lot of countries are like we agreed to do something, but we're not going to tell you what that is. Is that really an accord? Like an accord is like we all agree to cut greenhouse gases by X, Y, and Z. But then when people actually read the damn thing, it's like, well, this country's not agree- just agreeing to do something, but it doesn't tell us something. This country's like, we like the accord. That's all they've said. It's like you actually go through it. And it turns out there was very few countries that actually put hard stop events that should have been done. And it's just, it's, what can I say? It's sad that, that that's the world. Of uh, that's the political act of of climate change is the politicians don't really put the energy where they should be on this, and they're just like, oh, we'll agree to something in our country because if we actually do what the West has to do, it'll cripple our economy. And of course, we're not going to tell our people like, hey, you know, you're living on two dollars a day. That's how it's going to be for the next hundred thousand years because of climate change. We're not going to tell our people who are suddenly getting prosperity. It's like, okay, so you, you know, you went from two dollars a day to twenty dollars a day. Like, I have to strip you back down to two dollars a day because, because climate change. I signed an accord in Paris, and uh, all the wealthy countries like they're only going to take like a fraction of a hit, but we have to take the brunt of it because we're the we're the industrializing nations. They're post-industrializing, so they've they're actually making efficiency, but they don't want us to see it. Just like. <sighs> It seems like a terrible bullshit thing. And of course, then there's the redistribution of wealth argument that comes from that, from the global socialists. It's just, if you're fighting for climate change, actually fight with the right facts and statistics and say, like, governments aren't going to do that well. Like, a tax is not going to solve climate change. It may help a little bit, but really incentives for companies creating more efficiencies as they can and basically saying, we're going to tax you less the more efficient you make your processes, the less carbon carbon and less uh, uh, less uh, greenhouse gases you put into the atmosphere sphere and the more uh, chemicals you, like you know then you'd want to put more sulfates in the atmosphere that reflect the heat out like uh, Thunderfoot on YouTube actually it's a good thing where if we stopped all emissions right now because a lot of uh, our carbon emissions actually have sulfates and stuff like that in it which actually reflect one percent like one percent of the uh, sun's energy, we go from one percent uh, increase in cli- in uh, total energy that the sun's putting on the earth to two percent just overnight because carbon takes generations to be pulled out of the atmosphere. Now there are ways to actually pull it out, but it takes generations to do it. Versus sulfates and 
and the uh, and the uh, emissions that actually reflect the sun's light don't like don't stay up there for very long. So they're figuring out ways to do that, and it's interesting that Thunderfoot says like stopping right now is not a good idea. We have to figure out a way to actually energy efficiently pull that carbon out of the atmosphere or create a new method to push it, push the heat away from our planet more effectively. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, number 10, 2010, Arab Spring, starting in Egypt with the uh, the oust of Hosni Mubarak. Remember watching that on the video and thinking, this is going to be great. Um, yeah, people deserve freedom in their countries as much as possible, and we did see freedom... Um, grow all over the world in most cases, statistically speaking. Unfortunately, the Arab Spring also brought the double-edged sword where when you take away one dictator, does the uh, does the next group that come into power that seems so favorable that promises everything, can they be trusted? Because the Muslim Brotherhood then got elected and didn't do that good in Egypt and actually harmed Egypt in various ways ways specifically damaging their historical societies and uh and historical stuff in their museums because they stuff like was against islam um even though it predates islam by a thousand plus years it's like well we have to break the mummies from egypt that are five thousand years old because uh islam doesn't consider them real and all this stuff it's like (coughs) when you get those sort of ideologues to take over from a dictator class that's existed for decades you really do like a jump from one end to the other. Like here's a dictator. Now here's an ideologue that practically is a dictator and nobody really, and it's a sad possibility. So I'd rather, and unfortunately they went back to another military sort of control government post the uh, Muslim brotherhood. So it didn't go much like the Arab spring at least got Libya, but that's that country really work as well as it should. A few other countries have the protests, but haven't really gone anywhere. So the idea of the movement was grand and should have extended more, but really it it led to more civil unrest versus like intellectual evolution or revolution of the country. It went to basically more like, well, we don't like what we want, so we'll just get AKs and go to the middle of the street. And sometimes a rebellion's the right way to do it. But it looks like it's just been weird. Plus, with NATO and European and, and American and Western countries and Eastern powers or propping up governments that they support. It's been, in, it just, it's unfortunately uh, the actual freedom movement. So the people who want to be there are usually the first suppressed and then remain suppressed when the reform comes around because they're not the ones uh, that are going to give the ideologues and the, and the power brokers what they want. Number nine, the Hong Kong protests of 2019. So what can I say? Like the Hong Kong protesters, they are fighting for freedom, like unbelievable. And they deserve it. Like Hong Kong has been the economic power that's really got China into the 21st century. If it wasn't for Hong Kong and what they learned, um, if Hong Kong loses the the uh, British style of rule that they have right now and truly gets pulled into China, it's going to be actually an economic disaster for China because those people aren't going to take it. And they're not. And it'll be interesting to see if this if this is going to be the the protest that defines the next decade. Do people continue to support it, or does it get swept under the rug? It's going to be very hard for the Chinese to pull Tiananmen Square because Hong Kong so 
has free communication on it. If they shut it down, that's going to be a big sign of like, okay, the troops are going in. China really is going to do this. And then anyone who's got anything is going to try to sneak it out as quickly as they can to get around the globe. And I don't know if the Chinese are going to actually be able to stop that because information spreading technology is now so much more readily available than it was in the 80s and 90s. And the internet just makes it so fast to get that. Like, even if they stop the entire Hong Kong internet, somebody's going to go like, okay, I'm going to go into my yacht that's got GP, that's got a uh, satellite-based internet, and I'm going to post this tonight. So, <clears throat> a lot of checks and balances there. Uh, hopefully, it really ends with the Hong Kong protesters winning peacefully, but it just looks like it's going to escalate more and more. Number eight. The Benghazi embassy attack in 2012. I mean, not not really an embassy, but it was more of an annex. Um, and the death of uh, Ambassador Chris Stevens, the two uh, CIA contractor Navy SEALs, and the um, data IT uh, professional from State. And then the the lack of information for a while, the State Department not sending assets, uh bad decisions being made and just criticisms from all over the place. It was a shit show. And it's sad that it should have never happened and that it looks like the intel was properly in the right hands of the right people and if they'd moved on it, you know, Chris Stevens probably, Chris Stevens and the uh, IT officer, officer who died at the annex, at the, uh, there, prob- probably would have still died. But at least the CIA compound and all the survivors there wouldn't have suffered that uh, Glenn Doherty and uh, and uh, Tyrone um, wouldn't have been killed in that one. It's speculation. They may have died. They may have not died with um, assistance coming from Tripoli, from other uh, special operations units, and from quick reaction of forces from Europe being spooled up to get there. And the the uh, you know thirteen hours movie M- Michael Bay's movie about it just really put it back into the center line in two thousand sixteen, and the fact that it happened on September eleventh it's just like, and then it became a thing of oh about this film that it turns out that the people protesting admitted like we had no idea this was a film we weren't protesting the film it was some other uh, like you know the the intensity ones some of them were film mo- based but most of the militant ones were just like it's September 11th of course we're gonna go shit haywire on September 11th and do something like that so you know sad loss of life for something that was then tried to cover up swept under the rug made is not of a big thing and fi- kept the feet to the fire and a lot of new information came out of it over over the years and put it in a different light and it just became more of like the government doesn't want to deal with problems and when it when it has a problem that it's totally its fault on not being prepared it has to find a scapegoat number seven mh malaysian airlines mh flight uh frick uh, malaysian airlines flight mh17 getting shot down by a russian uh missile in the in ukrainian airspace just like how that happened of uh, like, why would the Russians think that the Ukrainian military was using civilian, uh, non-Ukrainian air transport codes, which is against the rules of war? Uh, I mean, against the rules of war, but who really abides by the rules of war? So I grant that, but still shooting down the plane, not verifying it, killing hundreds of people, 
just because the plane was flying through an airspace that probably the plane shouldn't have been flying through, but it had no idea that Russian service air missile barriers are going to look at the plane and be like, oh, that's a seven, that's a seven, that's a Boeing triple seven, but it, but uh, we don't trust the squat code it is. It might be an Antonov 124 from the Ukrainian military, so let's shoot the damn thing down. Let's not verify with anything. Let's just shoot it down. And it, how it went from Russian-backed militia to then it found out like that battery was a Russian battery that they, they were able to track the serial number on the on the war on the missile when they found the shrapnel of it and then like you know what really happened at that like the russians really didn't suffer besides from like international rebuke they really didn't have anything else to suffer from that i'm just sad like those people died and the russian government's like well we were over a war zone so fuck them that was their fault and i I may be paraphrasing in in bad ways about that so it just it, it, the optics seemed bad when it happened. When it came out, it was a Russian, like you know, it was probably a Russian commanded unit. They said it was a Russian advised unit, but probably was a Russian commanded unit. Yeah, and then earlier in that year, MH370 disappearance, which we still know nothing about. We know that like some of the parts washed up in the Indian Ocean, but that's about it. We have no idea why, where the plane is, where the crash happened, why it happened. Was it shot down? Was it internal terrorism? Was the pilot suicidal? Like, who knows? Mystery that, that may not be solved for years to come until the flight recorder gets found and recovered, and who knows if it will even still be sealed underwater when they find it. Number number five. The right to kill Osama bin Laden on May 2nd, 2011. Navy SEALs using special, uh, from DevGrew, using specially designed uh, MH-60 helicopters with stealth paneling flew in when supported by a ranger element using using two Chinook helicopters, and attacked uh, to Osama bin Laden's compound, bound, k- killed him and a few terrorists, and captured tons of information, and basically, I would say, the was the final act of why the U.S. should have been in Afghanistan, militarily. Of course, he was hiding in Pakistan for years and years, <coughs> which was near the Pakistani uh, military academy. But oh, that was a, a very interesting thing. And uh, Zero Dark Thirty is an interesting movie. Talk about it. Um, just the amount of intelligence work that went into finding him, identifying him, sending the SEALs in, using the stealth helicopters to fly, to infiltrate Iranian, I mean, uh, Pakistani airspace to do the operation without being detected, getting in, getting out, unfortunately leaving a helicopter partially behind, having to use thermite grenades to destroy a good portion of it. And apparently those helicopters have flown other operations prior and probably have been flying operations since. Uh, very specific ones. But how significant day. The mastermind of 9-11, Vin, and the leader of Al-Qaeda, dead. May 2nd, 2011. Number four, Minecraft becoming the best-selling game of all time. Now, I, I didn't know about this until later this year anyway. Like, until mid-December Minecraft becoming the best-selling game of all time. I had no idea that was true. With 112 million monthly users and 180 million copies sold, plus millions more on the uh, free free version, uh, you know, for playing around with, that's just I, absolutely crazy that Minecraft is that. I'm happy I, when I got in, because I got in November 29, 2010 is when I bought my Minecraft uh, account. That was back when it was like $10. 
dollars with at Mojang and Notch, and boy, was that a that's still a fun game. Me and the buddies uh, played it a few days ago, and uh, you know, uh, it was fun to fun to play. It still is a fun game. Number three, the War on Terror enters its second decade. Now, and even today, it looks like it's not going to go anywhere soon. Conflict on Afghanistan made sense. Iraq less so, looking back. Um, but the fact that it keeps going, because they went from hunting down bad guys to becoming nation-building projects and just being burdened and burdened with building these countries that have a major cultural difference uh, between us and and how, uh, you know, the Western democracy versus what how they've been living. It's hard to introduce that to them in an effective way to do it correctly. Their culture specifically in Afghanistan was after the Taliban took over was very repressive and went back many many decades and then to bring them back up to the 21st century try to bring them into it like they like the idea of the 21st century technology but they still had a lot of ideas that were pre 19th century that they wanted to do and it's hard to really make that adjustment after they've been forcefully repressed for years to think that way like I wouldn't be surprised if Afghanistan during the 80s after the Taliban took over after the Soviet invasion fell apart. Like most of those people were probably like, can we like go back to having cheeseburgers, please? And, you know, doing all the stuff. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. The Taliban's in charge with Al Qaeda supporting them. Like, this is how it's going to be. And, and, you know, some areas like the villages probably never even knew the difference. It's like, okay, the Soviets have left, but my life's still going to remain the same. <laughs> It brings up that joke about, uh, you know, uh, sending a $20 million plane to bomb to launch a $1 million missile to blow up a $100 tent for to kill a man who makes $50 in his lifetime makes war seem unwinnable. Well, like, just complete, just by that fact alone, it's like, yeah, that's pretty much true. Like, the weapons being used... To kill the to in the Afghanistan and Iraq war to kill the bad guys was more than people would see in their entire lifetime used up in one minute. So you know, it'd be nice to see the war on terror, the global war on terror, really end from how it is now. Like this, this ongoing operation with Patriot Act and surveillance ops to basically being stripped down to. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to do strategic operations here. And I understand from a military standpoint, like, you can't have an all-special forces army. There's just, like, the special forces are a, <coughs> are, like, five can be 5% of the active armed forces at any point in time. Like, there's just that, not that many people in the world that really qualify to be special forces guys. And their support roles that needed to fill them as well. Like, not everyone's going to be a Delta Force or a Ranger guy. Like, you're just going to have... There's going to be a lot of people that are just going to be tankers and infantry grunts and mechanics who want to sign up. Uh, you know, guys who want to be pilots, they aren't fit to be pilots, so they become mechanics or they become uh, radar people or, you know, weathermen or stuff like that. You can't have an all-Special Forces Army, and the idea of turning battalions of infantry units into Special Forces Army, Special Forces units, has obviously shown to be not as effective as it should be because... Those people aren't ready for that. And then you also have the issue of um, just battle fatigue for the guys who are doing it. Like, they're being spun up too much, and every hot point they got, every flashpoint they got to go to. It's just, you know, the, the war fatigue. Like, it's the longest war the United States has ever been involved in. So, yeah, from my point of view, it's like, maybe just call it a day.
not end, but basically pull out of so many bad situations that you're, you're, you're just call, in a way, it's more of a colonization effort in certain places. Like we've destroyed your bad guys, so now we're going to keep a like a literal like a literal division of forces here until like for hundred plus years because we don't know what's going to happen. Instead of being like, okay, we took out the bad guys. Uh, you guys seem to not hate us, so just run. And if bad guys show back up, we're gonna have we don't want to come back here. So maybe you deal with them. We're gonna go. Bye. And we'll we'll send you some financial aid to to help you out. Maybe train you on some things, but we're not going to build your country back up for you, even though it does make sense. Like, because it's from the World War II perspective, is that war was so bad, the United States and the West did spend so much money rebuilding the nations that they destroyed, Japan, Germany, Italy, to make them better. And it worked out uh, for Japan and Germany immensely well. They thought, oh, it's got to work everywhere else. Well, it turns out it doesn't always work when the country is like partially actually like not ready for it what you want to do they're like we we've never lived under this freedom you've given us we don't know what to do do and we weren't the problem so it's it's an interesting philosophical debate to go into about should the war on terror continue and what are the benefits and the detriments of it i'm not a smart enough guy to do that i know i like my little spiel i had there i'm missing tons of information on that i just think that uh, having this ongoing war from all over the world that has like such a broad definition of where action can be done just seems like a bad uh, bad idea and just it's it's a never ending like we can just do what we want wherever we want it's like no no that shouldn't be that shouldn't be how it is number 2 the opening of the 911 memorial real in 2011 10 years after the fact and a year later opening the museum Amazing, amazing, like haunting place to go to, really. Then we have the amazing growth in technology and the growth of the internet as the new economic power. The internet got to the point in the 2010s where the internet could exist without humanity, without the real world. The real world really can't exist without the internet, which is an interesting thing. Like, the internet could, like, the real world could be fake and the internet could still run, but the real world can't run without the internet. It's just it's an interesting thing. Now, of course, that's my top thirty. That's not an exhaustive list. A few others came to mind over uh, as I was doing this, um, both from Ranger Up and from other sources. Uh, the Chilean uh, cave collapse and the global effort to get that, as well as the uh, Thai cave, um, uh, Chilean mine collapse and the Thai cave disaster. How how those were examples of the world coming together to save people and doing miraculous work in in very short periods of time. Just heartwarming things, and you know, overall, it was the best decade in, in human history. More people left abject poverty, uh, more access to internet information via the internet, mobile data systems around the world. Life expectancy went up, freedom for the individual increased around the world, women's rights increased, um, minority groups, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, social, uh, you know, uh, non majority social groups uh, saw their rights increase which is good. Um, we do see, though, unfortunately, like as those groups get, get a place at the table, they spend a lot of time, instead of being recon instead of uh, dealing with the fact that the groups, like the old power groups uh, that are giving them a seat at the table, or I shouldn't say giving them, but are inviting them, are saying like, okay, we're, we want you here now. Now, because we recognize the errors of our ways of um, oppressing you, you come up and then the first thing is, well, you got to do this, this, this. You want, we want, uh, you know, 
uh, reparations, not recl- not a reconciliation. So then it's like, well, we gave you a place at the table well, that you actually should have had for decades to come. We're sorry that we blocked you from it. But now you have a spot, and now you want to punish us uh, because the people of yesteryear who are, who are the ones who blocked you who aren't us, like you're mad at them still, and they're gone. And we're we're here, and you say we represent them, and we're the ones who are like, no, we're on your side. So there's there's that that's divisiveness. Um, you know, we'll see what's going on. We know that uh, the internet being better has increased uh, what people can do. Like, did anyone think that playing video games on YouTube, tube or like on the internet twenty years ago was going to be a profitable career? And yet, look at. PewDiePie and all the YouTubers and the Twitch streamers and guys like that who have turned uh, playing video games and being social personalities on the internet with the decentralization of media as like a profitable career path. Who would have thought that was coming? The internet has done, has opened up the world to new methods of uh, monetary investment and gain, which is just uh, great, uh, great overall. It means that, and the technology to do it has come down in price so much. Like, You know, years and years ago, probably to get a soundboard, board, um, you know, it's in the nineties because they wouldn't have, they would have barely had any digital soundboard information back then. You had to buy an analog soundboard, which means to put it on the internet, you would have needed a device to convert that analog signal to digital signal. You would have probably needed like a high tier, like a relatively competent technician, probably to do it. You would have needed a very expensive computer. The internet wouldn't be fast enough to run video through, so it would only be audio. So practically, be a radio show. Um. I'd still probably be able to do this for cheaper than radio was then. But bandwidth costs would have been insane because you, you wouldn't need licensing, but then you're paying for bandwidth, which would have been a very expensive. Um, the of, of access to information and developing uh, t- talking points would have been much more uh, limited in scope. You would have been paying a lot of money to get the information you want from various news sources. You probably would have had to have subscribed to newspapers from all over the world um, probably would have need to pay for an AP packet or something or a Reuters packet, which are, I don't know what their prices are, but are definitely enterprise grade pricing. Like this isn't you as an individual are not buying into their new systems. That is a, and same with Dow Jones, like you are a corporation buying into that for your news company. You're not going to be an individual doing it. So that's changed with the effort, the advent of the internet being able to spread information so quickly. And then, uh, you know, there's that. Uh, and the ability just to create new methods. Plus, we're seeing the decentralization of the internet versus against the tech giants. So Google has become a beast controlling the greatest search engine in the world. And YouTube, which is the largest video sharing platform in the world. And then we've got Facebook and Twitter competing for power, like Facebook owning the two largest social media companies in the world, with Facebook, Instagram. Like these giants are going to have to be broken up. Now, I'm not saying broken up by government. I think there there's going to be falling outs in the stock markets from them. They can't have infinite growth because it's going to end eventually. It's like how you, Google said YouTube will no longer be giving monthly, like unique monthly. <coughs> view data anymore to their investors because it's like you've had two million two billion people of you have logged into your platform in the last year so you, your growth is going to be like 
you have a vast majority of like the internet using individual world that's already there. You can't get much more. Like you could get all 7.8 billion people on Earth on YouTube, but once you get that, the investor can be like, "Oh, how are you going to grow?" It's like I literally can't grow. Like children will come online, but people are going to die. Uh, it's just like, there's. It's not like we're going to have like a 20% growth year over year. That's impossible. Same with Facebook. Like they they're. Their growth it will happen a little bit, and with Instagram and various other groups, but it's just going to take forever to do. So there's there's that, and I think like the decentralization of it, and basically these tech giants, who aren't monopolies, they're not monopolies, because uh, they don't control everything. Like Google, they they have a market share of all the searches, but there's so many alternatives that people can go to go to for now, and then um, Facebook. We're seeing the younger generation just not even use it. I mean, they're using their Instagram, so Facebook's secondary uh, social media company, Instagram, is grabbing those people, but you're not seeing them transition to Facebook. So, you know, are, are, are these trend events going to end? We're seeing multiple websites exist to decentralize um, video distribution, which looks like a cool idea. But let's, you know, so there's that. Um you know, we voluntarily gave these giants the power and we're now voluntarily saying like, no, you've taken too much. It's time for us to take it back. And because they're not government enforced monopolies, we can do that, which is brilliant. And I think that if we try to use the government to demand that they break down, I think we're going to have a worse case for it. The government breaks them down and then allows a void to be created. The government then has to regulate versus non-regulation, which would probably work out better in the long run. And politically, we got more divisive. Uh, more young people have a favorable view of socialism than uh, any time since the end of the Cold War, which is interesting because socialism and communism, uh, that ideology was the largest killer of people in the, 19, in the 1900s. And I get the idea of why socialism and communism are good. It's like, you truly want to help people out, but if you truly want to help the less fortunate, maybe volunteer your own time and resources. Don't have government using coercion to do it. So on that note, I'm going to end this episode here. Have yourself a happy new year. Um, you know, looks like this decade should be great. Um, if the last decade was the best overall, this decade should definitely be better than the last decade. And see, I see life expectancy grow, see economic decisions in it for the individuals go, information grow. Um, you know, the future's so bright, we're going to need sunglasses. And I really hope that keeps saying true because anything but thinking that is just terrifying and depressing and could have, could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Let's let's hope for the best. Let's let's be nice to each other. Let's like have honest proper debates and talks with each other. Let's not be divisive assholes anymore. Now, I'm still going to talk about politics on my show. But I'm going to try to be less uh, you know, less assigning of malice and more like they probably just aren't aren't uh you know, they might be, uh, you know, I wouldn't say uneducated by choice, but they may just not even know of this perspective. And I'll just say, like, here's my perspective. Maybe call me on it. I don't know. So anyway, here's the 2020 to the new decade. Um, and just the be- wishing the best for all you who are listening. Uh, have a good year. Have a good decade. And thanks for thanks for listening. This is this is a. Uh, this is 2019 Cheeseburgers, 2020 Steaks. Steaks recorded January 1st, 2020. Um, 
you know, stories in the CRISPR drawer. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.